This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today our guest is Jesse Cole who is the owner of the Savannah Bananas. Uh, in the podcast where Chris and I, where I tell the story about my father beating up uh, the Philly Fanatic, uh, Chris and I touched on Jesse's decision to stop selling advertising at Bananas Games. At the time, I could not wrap my head around it and today... I feel the same way. I just can't wrap my head around it. But no matter what, Jesse was awesome. He talks about the whole decision in detail and why he feels that's the best for his team. Um, we also talk a lot about his business philosophy in general and how he looks at like the opposite of everything and uh, does the opposite of what the norm is. There's a lot to learn from uh, from Jesse, and uh, I love this story. You know, we went from sleeping on an air mattress, air, sleeping on an air mattress, uh, to buying the bananas, where there's now a wait list for multiple years to even get tickets. Obviously, he's doing more than uh, something right, and you know, he's uh, public speaking. And he's got a podcast, and he's doing all these great things that are much greater than baseball. They are business philosophies that he's in, uh, integrated from his sports experience into regular businesses. He's awesome. He was uh, great to learn from. I have so much respect for Jesse uh, and what he's doing, and I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly uh, enjoyed our conversation. But before we get to the interview, I would um, like to make my weekly reminder uh, to give our social media channels a follow, uh, search Front Office Features, and you'll be able to find us. And give that five-star review. It helps other people find us, and uh, that would be greatly appreciated. So without further ado, here is the one and only Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane, and today my guest is Jesse Cole. He is the owner of the Savannah Bananas. Jesse, uh, welcome to the podcast. Rob, I am fired up to be with you, talking with someone uh, doing great things in the sports industry. So excited to have some fun with you, my friend. Well, I'm excited to have fun with you, too. Um, I have to say, Jesse, you, I sent you a note, um, I don't know, probably in the summer sometime, uh, because you inspired me. Uh, I follow you on all your social media channels, and uh, back then I was looking for some a new challenge. I was looking for something uh, different. I saw all the great things that you were posting in uh, your posting online, and uh, you had actually you inspired me not unknowingly uh, to get this podcast up and running to create content, uh, to create something to push myself out of my comfort zone. Uh, and starting this podcast was definitely something outside of my comfort zone. And uh, thanks to you, 
uh, we've got front office features. So, uh, unknowingly, thank you very much for being an inspiration. I appreciate it a lot. No, that means a lot. I, you know, I think it's so important for people to share their journey, share what they're going through, and just add value. And obviously, from hearing how successful the podcast is, you're adding value to others. So <laughs> that means a lot, my friend. And you know, I think more people need to be doing that. There's so many people that are learning new things. Why aren't we all sharing? So thank you for sharing what you're learning. And, uh, yeah, excited to uh, talk more about this. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to get started. So let's get into you a little bit. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm still fighting this cold. Um, you are the man with not only uh, a, with uh, that wears a yellow tux and yellow top hat every day. I think you've got seven tuxes and three top hats, if uh, my research is correct. Great research. Um, where did, what'd you say? I said great research. You're very well. You're you're on it, my friend. Um, my question to you is, where did this come from? Were you always like this as a kid? Were you the kid in class that stood out? Were you the were, were you like were you the guy dancing on the bars and uh, at college? Were, is, uh, was this always something in your DNA? Well, I grew up as an only child, you know, up in Massachusetts, and uh, you know, played baseball. And for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily all about creating attention, but I did want to stand out. I wanted to, you know, get love from my dad, love from other people. So, you know, to an extent, I started making movies when I was in high school. Started doing videos with my friends and trying to do unique things. But um, more than anything, you know, the whole yellow tux and the standing out and what we've done in the industry it was more out of necessity. You know, what, what we learned, uh, I became an intern for a team and had to find out how to get a job, got a job of the general manager of the worst team in the entire country at 23 years old that was failing with 200 fans coming to the game, $268 in the bank account. I had to figure out what could we do to get people's eyes and ears. And so, yeah, I, for me, it ended up standing out because, you know, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be unique. I wanted to make people have fun and, and be a little crazy. And that's what I felt was needed. And so I kind of embraced that when I realized that we're not just a baseball team we got to be about putting on a show and if i'm going to be putting on a show i gotta be dressed like a showman i can't be just a regular person in a polo and in pair of pants you know i gotta be different and one of my biggest uh, influencers uh, has been uh, pt barnum you know i've read every book on pt barnum there is you know, i've probably seen the greatest showman way too many times and you know he thought the same way <laughs> and so he said we got to do something dramatically different and i got to see the feet dressed apart and so uh, i've really embraced that and you know for me when i put on my yellow top it means it's showtime and so every day I'm wearing it it's showtime and, and I believe everyone no matter what you're doing you need to always be on stage and especially always on stage for your fans and so when I'm dressed like that I know I gotta be completely on and that's who I am it's kind of like your uh, your uniform and you were a D1 uh, baseball player right Yes, yes. I played baseball down at a small Division One school down here in Wofford College. And, yep, when you put on your uh, baseball uniform, uh, you know, it's game time. When I put on my yellow tux, it's showtime. So, uh, yeah, I, I think everyone needs a little bit of a trigger. You know, I mean, especially you look at minor league baseball or any sports and you're putting on, you know, so many games. It's very easy on a long homestand, as you probably know, do you have the same energy? And for me, I just know as soon as I put that top hat on, hey, every game is someone's first game. And i got to be the best self to everybody. And it's really given permission and been kind of hopefully a role model to the rest of our staff to say, hey, we got to be on. we got to be on stage. And that's what we believe with the Bananas is we're 100% always on stage. I, lo I love that. And one of the things I was, um, uh, and we'll kind of get more into that here in a second, but there was one thing when I was doing my research on you. So you're a D1 guy. You maybe thought you were going to go pro, but you tore, tore your shoulder your junior year. And then you got into coaching. And correct me where I'm wrong in any of this. 
and you had an epiphany one day that when you were coaching, you hated, quote-unquote, hated watching the game. It was boring. How did it feel to come to that conclu- conclusion when, uh, for a game that you've loved your entire life? Was it weird? Did it feel like a weight off your shoulders? Tell, tell me about your feelings about that epiphany. Yeah, well, I think anybody, you know, you look at uh, kids, you know, I, you know, we were talking earlier, I, you know, I have a two-year-old, and when they're playing, you watch the joy. You know, right now, this morning, he was actually taking swings off the tee, and you see the joy of when he's playing. But then the idea of just watching someone else play, it, it doesn't have as much joy. And, and, yes, people do watch sports, but I believe, for me, when I was watching baseball, I was like, I don't get to play anymore. I'm just sitting there watching, and I have an idea of what's going to happen. And then I realized, whoa, I just signed on to become a general manager of a team, and i got to sell people on the idea of watching coming to a game. And so for me, I said, all right, what would make me want to watch? What would make me so excited, you know, to expect the unexpected, to make it fun, to have constant entertainment? And I just put myself in the fan's shoes. And I realized, again, what can you be the best at? You know, I mean, Rob, fortunately, you're at AAA, which is one of the highest levels of baseball there is. You have some of the top players. We were, we're college summer baseball. We're a shade above high school baseball. And I'm saying that not in a bad way, but we have huh. professional guys that play up. But what can you be the best at? And what can, what can you really <laughs> deliver to your fans? And for us, I realized I was about to take over this, that we cannot be the best at baseball, but we could be the best at entertainment. Can we just try to play that game? Can we try to win that game? And so for me, at 23 years old, I was like, we got to change what we're about. And I said, we can't just have watching players play baseball. What if our players could choreograph dances every game? What if our players went on dates with fans? What if our players delivered roses to little girls in the crowd? What if we had grandma beauty pageants? And I started just coming down all those questions. What would be entertaining for someone that's maybe not a baseball fan to actually watch? And that really was the starting point for us. That's it's, uh, you really look at things. You know, you're, you've got a whole podcast called Business Done Differently. But uh, we'll get into so many of this stuff. I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know a lot of these things. So let's go back a little bit. You're 23 years old. You're the GM of the Gastonia Grizzlies, which is, might be the Gastonia Grizzlies, which might be the worst team ever. You drew 200 people a game. You bought the team, and it's got $268 in the bank account. You're like, oh, my God. So what were, like, the first action steps that you took and some of the early lessons you learned from, like, the first week, two weeks, month, a year uh, in Gastonia? What were some of the things that you do now that you learned when you were 23 with $268 in the bank? Yeah, and I was just a general manager there. I didn't buy the team until many years later, and I sold it about okay, three years ago. But but as a GM, um, you know, the first day I called 10 people in the community. The team had been there for seven years, and I asked them. I, I asked people, uh, you know, business people, uh, nonprofits who I called, and I said, hey, you know, this is Jesse, the new GM of the Grizzlies. I'd love to meet you. Seven of the people said, who are the Grizzlies? The team had been there for seven years. The other two people I called said, we'll never work no with idea. you. no idea. Yeah, and the other two people I called said, we'll never work with you. And then the other, another one I got hung up on. So then I was like, wow, i got to make it my goal. And I, Actually, there was an article I found about a, a couple months ago from, you know, 07, from literally uh, uh, September of 2007, and it said, my goal is to meet every single person in this community, businesses, nonprofits, schools. I'm going to call and meet every person. And so that my first goal was just to meet people in the community and a little hear about what's going on you know great leaders a lot of times they come in they just want to make all these changes you got to listen first and so we came in and we started listening and what i heard was everyone uh you know i don't really like baseball or my people don't like baseball it was over and over again and as a great 
you know, back then I was doing sales a lot. As a salesperson, you got to be ready to you know, have rebuttals to, to all this. And I kept just saying, I was like, man, we're a baseball team, but everyone keeps saying they don't like baseball. You, you can't really fight that one. We're a baseball team. And so <laughs> as, I kept, as I kept having those meetings, as I kept having those meetings, I was like, we can no longer say we're a baseball team. And so I called the owner of the team, and I said, I said, Ken, I go, we can't be a baseball team. He goes, what do you have in mind? I go, we're going to be a circus, and a baseball game's going to break out. He's, uh. like, he's like, what are you talking about, Jesse? And I go, I don't know what else to do to get people that don't like baseball to come to us unless we change who we are and what we stand for. And he said, all right, man, well, what do you have in mind? And I told him, I was like, our players are going to do full-fledged dances every game, all right? We're going to bury diamond rings in the infield dirt. We're going to do donut burgers, donut doggers. And a lot of the things that you've seen back in the day, we just started turning it where it's not about the baseball. And we just started testing things. And so at that point, I got out in the community and started telling people, I said, they say, oh, I don't like baseball. I go, perfect. You'll love our shows. And I changed the language from saying it's not about games, it's about shows. Welcome to the show. Did you enjoy the show? You'll love our show. And everything became a show, and we no longer use that language. So then people in the community said, ooh, this is interesting. You're saying it's not like a baseball game. I'm not. And then they started giving us a shot. And then slowly but surely we went from 200 fans a game to 1,000 fans a game to 1,500 fans a game to 2,000 fans a game to selling out games. And then, uh, you know, eventually bought the team and then sold the team. And then the real craziness happened in Savannah, Georgia. So that's really where it started. It's, unbel- uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great testament of hard work because you just went out there and said, all right, I've got to kind of change the way that I'm thinking. I've got to change the way that we're doing business, change the language, as you said, and put on a show. And, uh, you know, I was reading Bill Veck's uh, book, uh, Veck is in Wreck, and uh, it seems like you take a lot of uh, your inspiration um, from Bill. Yeah, uh, 100%. I have three custom posters in my office, Bill Vec, Walt Disney, and P.T. Barnum. And uh, Vec was a huge, uh, huge inspiration for me, the way he thought. You know, again, part of the mindset is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And, you know, things that he used to do was so fascinating. Instead of giving, you know, one fan, each fan a free hot dog, he'd give one fan uh, 1,000 free hot dogs, like, just to see what they would do. <laughs> and we started doing some of those things. Like, you do things to get people to talk, and you do them in a different way. And, and that's everything. So, like, for us, Rob, once we realized that we had to be a show, we also said put ourselves in our customers' shoes, our fans' shoes, and look at all the things that frustrate people about coming to a baseball experience. And then over the last 15 years, and especially in Savannah, everything we've done is look at, all right, baseball's long, slow, and boring. How do you make it fun? You get nickel and dime to the ballpark. How do you make everything all-inclusive? All right, there's all these extra fees. How do you eliminate all those extra fees? All right, there's advertising everywhere. How do you eliminate advertising? We've started going down that route because when you put yourself in your fan's shoes and you make all decisions for the fan, it makes every decision easier. So let's go through this a little bit because, in all honesty, this is your—you uh, brought it up—and I want to—I want to talk about it, um, and I want to talk more about Savannah as well. But you've got your fans first uh, approach, and you talk about the advertising. This is really what got us going. So recently, you said that there's not going to be any advertising. Um, in uh, at uh, Savannah Bananas games, you mean nothing, right? No signs, no uh, PA announcements, no nothing. Zero program ads, zero ads. It's, a, it's an ad-free experience completely at our games. So we were talking about this on our podcast, and we were saying that uh, I was reading something that you were saying that this is uh, a friction point, right? That you believe? Do you? So as my my correction, I just want to make sure I'm right. 
you, you, you believe that uh, advertising at a baseball game is a friction point for the fans? Ten years ago, uh, advertising on TV, on YouTube, on Hulu wasn't a friction point. Now, I would argue that ads on YouTube, Hulu, TV is a friction point. Ten years ago, Netflix made the decision to create an ad-free experience and to have zero ads on, on all of the Netflix experience. Um, many people argue, oh, ads are no big deal at a ballpark. But what I believe and what our team believes is that no one ever says, I'm going to a baseball game to go see some ads, to go look at the outfield wall and see some ads. We believe that no one wakes up in the morning and wants to be advertised to, sold to, or marketed to. And so we said, now, in every meeting that we have, we have a seat that represents a fan. And we turn to that fan, that fan there, and say, all right, what is, what's the best decision for you? And would any fan <laughs> answer that we want to have more ads at ballparks? And this was a very tough decision because, and it's very controversial because I understand ads are a significant form of revenue. It was thousands of dollars for us that we just eliminated. But when you know what you stand for, it makes decisions very clear. And me and my wife, we're not in the business to make more money. We're in the business to create more fans. And so it became a very, very easy decision for us. And I believe that advertising in the future, advertising gets customers. There's no, it works. Advertising gets customers. But we believe experience creates fans. And if you deliver a great experience, your fans will leave you telling everyone you wouldn't believe the experience I had and tell everyone that. And that's who we are and that's what we stand for. It was a very easy decision. Yes, my wife and I, the team, will have some less revenue this year. But what we're doing, and it's been even just since the first two weeks announced, we've created a lot more fans. And that's, that's who we are, and that's what we believe in. So what is the long-term, uh, what's a long, what's a, I guess, it, what's, the, what's a long-term play on this? It seems like, uh, you know, what's, I guess, what's the upside? You think that it's going to create long-term fans, which will then fill the revenue bucket or am I just myopic on thinking about the revenue bucket because I make a living by putting yeah. the, uh, yeah. uh, by, by, by thinking about revenue. Yeah. We understand that. And that's, 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 that's how I started in this business. Rob, I, I, I don't, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I understand where everyone's coming from and I understand the controversy. You know, as, as I started, there was no money in Gastonia. I couldn't pay myself for the first three months. When we came to Savannah, and just so everyone knows, we came to Savannah, we sold two total tickets in the first few months. Just four years ago, in, in January of 2016, we received a phone call at 4.45 that we'd overdrafted our account. We were completely out of money. My wife and I had to sell our house. We had to empty out our savings account. We were sleeping on an air bed down to nothing. I remember eating with just $30 a week going to Walmart, and we had just had $30 to shop for the whole week. It was bad. But... The business, we're not in the business for us just to generate more profits and more revenue, as crazy as that sounds. Like, we believe that we're in the business. Again, if we create more fans, if we do more amazing things for them, the revenue and all takes care of itself. And we've learned that. And over the last four years, every game sold out. Um, we've had more fans than we could ever imagine. Merchandise is outrageous. I mean, every day, all over the world, we've never seen anything like it. And the revenue has grown considerably, but we've never gone out at a goal. How do we create more revenue? Everything we do, we don't do ads. We do music videos with our players. We do different things like that to try to create more fans. And what happens is it, it pays ten, tenfold. 
And since the ad free announcement, this was not a goal. We've done more merchandise in two weeks than we have in any other time. It just, we got people from all over saying, I support you guys because you're for us. And they're even putting notes in the ad saying, I don't know, I didn't know who you were until I heard this. I'm buying merchandise because I support who you are. So if that keeps happening, and our next goal, our long-term goal, is to take the show on the road and have the bananas playing worldwide, isn't the goal then to create more fans and not just to create more revenue? Because if you create more fans, then the revenue takes care of itself. It's just an inverted way of looking at it. It is. I struggle to uh, to grasp it uh, a little bit because um, you know, especially in the minor leagues, where I'm just kind of trying to take myself into your uh, into your uh, into your into your meeting and being the other guy in the room. And uh, you know, I think in the minor leagues, at least in my experience, some of the most entertaining pieces of the game. Are what are the between inning promotions? We do Chick Fil A uh, foul balls where you could the whole stadium could win uh, a Chick Fil A sandwich. And I think the two seconds that the ball is up in the air and the fans are waiting for them to catch it uh, to see if they win Chick Fil A is the most dramatic two seconds out of the entire three and a half hours that is a baseball it. game. I love it. Um, it but here, it's without not, it's that, not, it's not for everybody, Rob. See, that's, that's the thing. We're not looking for any other team to, to say, "Oh, we're going to stop doing it." We don't expect anyone to do it. We didn't. We didn't say we're doing this. It's not for everybody. It's for us. We're, we're profitable. We're yeah. successful. We don't have any responsibility to corporate partners. So every promotion, again, we have non-stop promotions. I mean, you name it. There's promotions. We have a, we have over 150 potential promotions. Every half inning is the show. But we don't have to put in a plug for a sponsor. We're just doing it because it's the best possible thing for a fan. We've learned that sometimes sponsors, oh, I want to do this car race. Well, is that the best possible thing for the fan? There's a responsibility often to the sponsor as opposed to the sold-out crowd that there's every night. So for us, it makes sense. For everyone else, it doesn't. But if you look at the whole picture of us, Rob, just say, like, we eliminate, we have no ticket fees, no convenience fees, no shipping fees, everything. If you want a $20 shirt, $25 shirt, there's no shipping. We put ourselves in customer shoes, and we've eliminated things that short-term would make more money, but long-term it creates more fans. And that's what's happening as a small college summer team. We're, you know, you can't get tickets. There's a wait list in the thousands right now. So we have people literally in the thousands that are waiting until 2022, 2021, to potentially have the opportunity to buy tickets. And we think it's all part of all these decisions that we make to create the best fan experience in the world. Yeah, what, what you guys do are, are doing is, you know, it's kind of shaking the world a little bit is because we're looking at it going like, what the hell's going on? And then uh, trying to fit ourselves in this shoes. Are we doing this right? Um, and it's just what you're doing and what you've created um, is uh, is unbelievable. And I kind of want to dive a little bit into this. Um, you were just you talked about it a little bit there, but I really want to go a little bit deeper. You talk about the early days in Savannah. You had to sell your house. Uh, you were sleeping on an air mattress. What was that like? What did that feel like? What was what was going through your head? Could you ever imagine what you're doing now and having wait lists for two years? It's, uh, yeah, it, you know, my wife and I pinch ourselves often about that. We, we couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is there was minor league baseball here in Savannah for 90 years. 
And unfortunately, they weren't drawing the fans. I remember, you know, we came we came out to a game in 2014, and there were only a couple hundred people there, and it was just a baseball game. There was not a lot of uh, things going on in entertainment. But I looked at this 1926 ballpark, and I called the commissioner of our league. I said, "If this team ever leaves for any reason, we want to come here. This ballpark is gorgeous, and Savannah is a fun city. It needs life." And lo and behold, that team left, and you know, they weren't getting the fan support, and they left, and um, we came in. And when we got there, uh, the phone lines were cut, the internet lines were cut, everything was taken out of the stadium. It was Emily, my wife, and I, our 24-year-old president, uh, and three 22-year-olds straight out of college. And we we grabbed a picnic table from outside the park and brought it into an abandoned storage building and started using our cell phones, calling the community. And we were too scared to be different because there was baseball there for 90 years. We tried to fit in. And by trying to fit in, we failed miserably. Literally, we were marketing like everyone else, and we were getting results like everyone else. In fact, it was actually much, much worse. When we just sold two tickets in the first few months, People were like, who are these guys? You're just a lower-level baseball team? And we're like, no, we're fun. We're, we're entertainment. We're different. And they're like, sure you are. And really, it wasn't until yeah. we named the team Savannah Bananas and then came up with a Banana Nanas senior citizen dance team, our mascot split, our male cheerleading team, the Bananas, a breakdancing first base coach. We had a bat dog that could never actually ever carry a bat. We started creating attention. And then yeah. once, they came, once they came to the first game, it was amazing. The first game sold out. Then that night, our, our, our internet almost shut down. Like People were just buying tickets like crazy after the game because everyone was telling everyone, you have to see a Bananas game. And then all of a sudden, every game started selling out, and then the wait list happened. And because of that experience, people started coming and saying, I've never seen something like this in a baseball game. And that's why we bring in theater people. We bring in improv people. We bring in circus acts. We bring in people that can put on a show that people have never seen at a ball game. We have our players fully immersed in the show, fully involved in the show, because Again, the mindset for us is what would it take for people to come to a ballpark and say, you wouldn't believe what happened at a game. And you wouldn't believe is the most powerful form of word-of-mouth marketing. It's not just a wow moment. It's having someone say, you wouldn't believe. And that spreads like wildfire. It's contagious. And so that's what we started building. And that's every decision we make is, is, is this crazy enough? Is this fun enough? Is this unique enough for the fans to say, you wouldn't believe? They... Um when you were doing that, and you're and you're creating these wouldn't believe moments, you but you take a lot of effort, time, effort, energy. Every minute of when the uh, is scripted out is uh, from the mo- the moment someone walks in the parking lot uh, to the moment um, they leave. You've got a script about what's going on, isn't that correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's very, very detailed. And, and it started with just the dancing players. You know, it started with, hey, you know, that was it. We just Our players would do choreographed dances. And now it's obviously evolved dramatically. Now, you know, again, when you first walk up, you'll see our, you'll get parked by a parking penguin, people in penguin costumes. They'll be passing out freezy pops to little kids. And then you'll walk up and you'll see our pep band playing, you know, Rocky music, Final Countdown. You'll be greeted by the players, passing out programs, signing autographs. You know, then you'll have our banana ticket takers and, uh, you know, banana costumes, ripping your banana-shaped tickets. You know, we hired a professional high-fiver last year, like literally a professional high-fiver. Professional high-fiver. Yes. Yeah, we hired a professional high-fiver. We pay him every game. Uh, We looked everywhere to try to find this applicant, but we couldn't find No one wanted it. So finally, a mother walked in with a six-year-old kid. The six-year-old kid came into our office right before the season, high-fiving every single person on our staff. I turned to him and I said, kid, you got the job. And now we named a six-year-old our professional high-fiver this past year. 
and his goal is to high five it between fifteen hundred and two thousand fans a game minimum, and then uh, and then uh, that's his job, and we pay him every day because we're investing in the experience. And it's like crazy, you're high, high fiver, yeah, because people love high fiving the high fiver. He's become a character, and so yeah, it's all scripted. When you leave the games, we'll have uh, we'll have a free s'mores station for all the fans to get free s'mores. We'll have our pep band playing music. We'll do line dances. We'll have the wavy people like those those uh, at car washes, but we actually put people in the costume waving, and we'll even wash one or two cars without them knowing it. We get a mobile car wash to come in and just pick two fans and just wash their car when they're going to it. And it's all about those experiences. You know, we send playlists to fans of music to listen to on the way to the games. Everything is so scripted. Even our rainout, we have a three-page rainout, our rain delay script, that we want people to come to a game and say, out team, it was the most fun I ever had at a baseball game pitch. And we're trying to figure out how do we uh, attract and entertain. Because when a game rains out, we don't have any other games to get tickets to. So we have to make it the most entertainment experience ever. So we even have that scripted. And that, again, is over five years planned. But when you know that you stand for the fans and everything you do is about entertaining, and the name of your company is Fans First Entertainment, again, it just makes all our decisions easier. Yeah, the, the fans first entertainment approach uh, and what you're doing is just, it it's kind of blows my mind uh, because of the uh, creativity. So can you walk me through, like when you have all those different ideas from the, uh, you've got uh, Dolce and Banana underwear that you've got from the ticket shape, the, uh, the, the banana nanas, all of those types of things. Where do those ideas come from? Is it a team effort? Is that just coming from your brain? Uh, walk us through the creative process a little bit. It's a combination. See, what I've learned is, Rob, is that when I was in the business, and like, I mean, really in the business, and my wife would say, Jesse, you're more in the business now than you've ever been. But when I was really in the business, and I was selling every day, <laughs> and I was having three to four meetings with uh, sponsors or tickets, you didn't, I didn't have enough time to think enough time to really get outside and think. And so now I'm so fortunate that everything is inbound for us. We don't make any sales calls. Myself and our whole team gets to reimagine what that fan experience looks like and come up with all these ideas. So personally, what I started was two years ago, I started um, writing down 10 ideas every morning. So I've written over seven I would pick 6,500 of them are that great ideas. But you know there are good ones in there. So that was the starting point. And then we started having idea paloozas. And our president came up with this. He goes, we got to get the whole culture a part of the ideas. So literally every month we have an idea palooza. We uh, start with an idea box, which came from Mike Beck, uh, which you know I learned a lot from him. We put an idea in the idea box. Each person puts about three ideas. And then we have an idea palooza, uh, usually Thursday afternoons, uh, to once during a month from about 3.30 to five and there's sometimes there's drinks there's food and we just jam on ideas and we separate between yes we're definitely going to do maybe or not right now and then we pick them and we own the ideas and so so many of our ideas have come from that i mean we're planning the most ridiculous night in sports this, this uh summer that was our last idea palooza some of those ideas You'd never imagine a baseball game, but that's exactly how we want to do it. But the whole staff becomes a part of it. So we get so excited when we actually implement it. We're like, wow, I can't believe we actually just did that. And that's where a lot of our movie ideas that we do with our players, that's where a lot of it comes from. And it's a culture of ideas. And that's what gives us purpose, inspires us. And we're not just trying to sell the same things over and over again. We're coming up with things to make people say, wow, and leave saying, wow, this is special, and be a part of it. And that's what really gives us a great sense of purpose and also a ton of 
so I, I asked some things that might be get too into the weeds, but uh, I've been working with AAA baseball players for most of my career. <laughs> and what I see you do, I can't imagine asking a AAA baseball player yep. to do what you ask them to do. So when you're looking for a collegiate baseball player, do they kind of know what they're getting into? Do you look for a specific player who's willing to do those things? Have you ever had a player tell you, say, nah, man, that's not for me, and I'm going to go do go play somewhere else? How does that work? A hundred percent. When I first started in Gastonia, and before our first practice, this is our, my first year, I said, guys, before we practice, we're going to learn how to, we're going to learn how to dance. And here's a dance instructor. I brought in a dance instructor, and the players looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. They're like, we are, what is this? No, we're here to play baseball. Because they didn't know about any of this. This is, you know, the Grizzlies back then were nothing and weren't even known. And so they, I, we taught them how to dance. And they were pretty good ball players. Well, they were terrible dancers. Literally, one guy said, I'm not doing this. And went off to the bullpen. He was a pitcher. He said, I'm not doing this. But then the next game, all of a sudden, the players are doing their dance in the field. The fans are starting to get into it. They're signing autographs after the game. Three games into it, I'm walking through the crowd, and a husband's talking to his wife. And the wife turns to the husband and says, Shut up, honey. They're about to dance. And literally, what I noticed <laughs> was all of a sudden, the dancing was what everyone looked for. The middle of the second inning, the players are going to dance. Wow. So halfway through the season, that guy who said he never danced, he said, forget this. He comes out on the field. He whips his belt off, throws his belt over his head. They're doing the jump on it dance by Apache. And all of a sudden, he started becoming a big oh part God. of it. By the end of the year, he was <laughs> a fan he was a fan favorite. Fast forward about six years later, I saw uh, a billboard in L.A. He's now a male model in L.A., that same picture. So, <laughs> so, no kidding. Yes. No yes. kidding. So full circle. Full circle. That's hilarious. What happened is, at first, it was very, very tough. But now, as we built this culture, and the Savannah Bananas, and our music videos, like Can't Stop the Peeling, and Old Town Road, and they're in the Sandlot parodies, and they're in Titanic, and Major League parodies, and they've become a part of all these movies, the guys know what they're getting into. And we have a very specific orientation. When the players show up, no one gets a jersey until they go through fans first year. And we show videos about, you know, how we deliver roses to little girls during the game. We show videos of them going on dates with fans during the game. We show videos of literally thousands of people standing and clapping just because of the experience they created them for them. Not because they won the game, but because of the fun. We show videos of, of, of fans hugging the players after the game and talking about how much of an impact they made on them. We share that so they understand, guys, we want this to be the best sum of your life. But it's going to be the best sum of your life, not because of the fans, but because of the players you create for fans. And they get uh, we had a guy. I feel like you're... <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, okay, so even like last year, which was so powerful, um, a player, when a kid came up to him, a player, uh, you know, they signed, you know, the AAA ball players, they signed tons of autographs. A player came up, or a little kid, like a six-year-old, came up to one of our players and said, can I get your autograph? And one of our players, a conditional guy, who's only here for two weeks, said, only if I can have yours first. And so all of a sudden, the kid gives his autograph oh on his hat. And then what happened, Rob, 
was the whole team started noticing that. We recognized it when we give uh, free T-shirts and giveaways and things when the players do something really great for fans. And now our whole team started asking the kids for their autographs. So now if you look, if you look at the sleeves of, of uh, our players or you look at the hats this past year, you would see little kids' autographs. It became such a big part of our culture. Now we get about 1,000 applicants for our 30-player roster, and they know what they're signing up for, and they're fired up to be a part of it. So the players now are saying, like, that's something fun. That's something I want to go do. Before, I can only imagine what that first one was like. Was I, you know, I was a college baseball player, and in the summer I was like, what would I do if someone was like, all right, guys, we're going to go through dance school first. I was like, what? Uh, but I, it's unbelievable. Just uh, the way that you think is uh, I, I, I love it. I am uh, Part of me is jealous that I don't have as much creativity uh, uh, from you, but uh, just amazing, uh, amazing stuff. I feel like your life and what you've created with the Savannah Bananas is like a giant TikTok video. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before, but I love it. And, and Rob, I'm going to challenge you on something. You said you don't have as much creativity. Challenge me. I'm going to challenge you. You said you don't. That's when you were a kid, oh. and you're just and you're just drawing, and you're doing things like there's so much creativity as a kid, but it's knocked out of us. You know, we can't stand up on the chair. We can't do this. We have kids. We tell our kids they can't do it. They're told how they have to act. Well, for us. When we don't have to have someone telling us what to do, when we don't have to have this governing body, when we can say, you know what, we're going to challenge the way things are. Whatever is normal, do the exact opposite. For me, I'm scared of this normal life. I'm scared of the mundane. I'm scared of, like, I, I, I have this fear of settling and doing normal. So we just challenge everything. And so every day when we're talking about how to come up with ideas, we do whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. We write down the normal, and then we say, all right, what would be the opposite or remarkable of that? And so creativity can be easy when you start seeing a lens to that you know i'm sure rob when you drive down the road and you see billboards and you see ads you think about potential sponsors don't you i do every uh, every single one of them. all right i'm the same way when i was selling that when i was doing that for years with gastonia that's all that i saw because that was the lens that i had and i would think about oh this could be a great idea for a partnership that could be a great idea for a sponsor because that's how your mind's been trained when you start thinking about all right fan experience and start thinking about what are the normal ways people experience a baseball game? What are the normal ways they come into the ballpark? What are the normal ways they sit? What are the normal ways they get served food? What are those normal ways they leave the game? And then start saying, what would be remarkable? What would be different? And you start turning that into your lens. That's how it's been over the last five years. We just keep pushing ourselves even further. So the creativity, you have plenty of that. It's just the lens that you look at things and how you start changing the normal to remarkable. And that uh, goes into my next thing. Not only are you challenging me, which I accept your challenge, and I will uh, begin to look more uh, through that lens, but you've also created a business where you go speak, you talk to your about your fans first university, about people not even remotely in sports. This is about uh, a business that you've created and implementing your fans first approach into uh, you know things that you wouldn't think would be traditionally fans. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing outside of baseball? Sure, sure. I mean, again, you, you, you sell what you believe in. And if you really believe in something, you feel like you're never selling it. And for you, I'm sure you realize every, <laughs> every fan that walks into your ballpark, if they have a great experience, they're ten times better marketer than any radio ad you could do, TV ad you could do, or social media ad you could do. Would you agree with that? 
I agree thoroughly, 100%. So, so with that being said, we believe that if we can help companies go all in on creating an experience, mapping the moments for their, their customers, they will become the most powerful marketers they've ever had. And that's what we've built. And I didn't share this earlier, but we spend zero dollars on advertising. Zero. Zero on marketing, zero on advertising. But we put everything in, yes, the money, but a lot of more just ideas. We believe in outthinking, not outspending. So we spend our time thinking about how do we create an experience where our fans are the biggest marketers. So what we've learned, and so fortunate to have the opportunity to speak all over the world and have workshops with companies and teaching them how do they map this, that they can literally cut their marketing in half, cut it in half, and put a percentage of that into the experience, and they will grow their business. And that's what we're doing. And, yeah, we have a day-and-a-half workshop that we do during the summer. You get to see the behind-the-scenes of our, our games. You get to see the behind-the-scenes, meet with all of our staff. Our coach talks about how do you get the players to buy into this uh, and how do you get, like, your staff to buy into this if you're looking at it as a business standpoint. And uh, it's given me so much purpose. And I think you talked about doing this podcast. It's about sharing value with others. And so we share this value with others. And we're, you know, getting videos from, you know, banks in Kentucky and, you know, huge bike shops in Wisconsin that are worldwide saying, hey, we've built this into our company, and now it's amazing the purpose our people have and how the business is growing based on an experience that's unlike anything else. And uh, it's been fun. That's my side project, but it really goes in well with what we're doing with the bananas. So what does, you're a young guy, um, what does the crystal ball look like for you in 10, 15, 20 years? Do you have any ambition to get into affiliated ball? Are you going to are you going to be the next Bill Vec and buy a major league team? What's your What does the crystal ball look like? Oh, geez. Well, everyone asks, how, how do you go buy a, buy a baseball team? I go, you take on an outrageous amount of debt. Um, it's so fortunate. To <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, fortunately, fortunate to get rid of that debt. Uh, um, I don't want to say I ever have no interest in, in affiliate ball or major league baseball. Um, if, if we can really make an impact. And I think um, what scares me a little bit about that level is the red tape. And uh, I respect so much about the amount of fans that major league baseball and top level minor league baseball touch. But a lot of there's red tape. You mentioned about involving the players and being able to create things that are different experiences. So um, I don't know. If that opportunity uh, arises where, hey, the red tape's eliminated and we can solely make decisions based on the fan um, and not based on uh, what an ownership group wants or a board wants or the league wants, um, then I'd potentially be interested. But, uh, you know, our next step is, you know, we want to create more fans and we're going to look at how do we take the show on the road and how can the bananas come to different ballparks and, uh, you know, bring our characters, bring our pet band, bring our breakdancing first base coach um, and create an even more fun baseball game uh, for more people to see. So that's, uh, that's pretty clear for so us like, right now. We don't know exactly how we're going to do it, um, but we know we want to do it and we think it'll be a lot of fun. So kind of like the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball? <laughs> We've heard that for a few years, and I said, if we keep hearing that for a few years, but we're not actually traveling, I don't know if we're really the Globetrotters at this point. We're just the Bananas in Savannah. So uh, we might as well give that a shot. Maybe, a... maybe we'll end up up north playing a few games up near your area one of these days. Oh, that would be, that'd be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. One last question, as um, you know, many of our audiences, uh, everyone wants to, um, to get better and to learn. And one of the things that I, I love what you do is you're a giant reader and you encourage uh, your, you actually pay your staff uh, to, to, to read books. 
Can you take us through that thought process a little bit and why that is so important to you? And as uh, you know, feel like uh, on Oprah a little bit. Is there any uh, any good books you think we should uh, we should dive into? You know, uh, I'm so fortunate to have so many mentors, and not you know direct right away. But when I started in Gastonia and we were failing and I couldn't pay myself, I just tried to start reading every book I could, and it became fundamental on the amount I learned, the amount I could actually implement and make an impact. So um, it was huge for me, and I said, you know, the the growth of any organization is really determined by the growth of the leaders individually. And so if you have leaders on your staff who aren't growing personally, individually, then the organization can only grow so much. And what I realized in my fear was that I would be the ceiling. And, you know, unfortunately, I bought Gastonia uh, a few years ago and sold it. And, and unfortunately, after this year, this will be the last year of the Gastonia Grizzlies. And I feel a little guilty on that, that I wasn't able to truly help um, all the leaders, everyone else in the organization truly grow. And so on our Savannah Banana staff, we are constantly growing. So, yes, we have the Better Book Club. Everyone gets paid to read. Uh, it could be 50 bucks, it could be 100 bucks. They do a book report on it. Um, we've done hundreds of books, paid out thousands of dollars. We also do one book a quarter that every week we uh, do two chapters and we meet for 20 minutes and talk about the implement, uh, what we can implement and the takeaways. Um, and so it's, it's big. It's big enough. I mean, we just spent four days in Disney. You know, I, I, my, my wife and I, we surprised the whole staff with a trip to Disney. And we said, all right, let's have fun, but you know we're going to learn. And so you better believe we got about five to ten ideas that we're implementing this season because we were not afraid to do see something from outside of our industry, learn from outside the industry, and then figure out how can we apply it to what we're doing. And uh, we're a culture of growth, and, you know, it's part of our fans' first way. It's our core beliefs. And, Rob, I don't know about you, and you work with the industry, but – from what I've seen in the sports industry, not many companies have, uh, in, in sports, have actual core beliefs. They know what they stand for. They have a clear mission. And we are so clear on all that for us that it makes, uh, you know, those decisions <laughs> to read and to learn, it makes it very easy for us. Because part of our fans' first way, our core beliefs, is always be caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing, and hungry. It goes right by the alphabet. And growing and hungry, it's huge. If we want to take the next level, we've got to be growing and we've got to be hungry. And so, obviously, the reading, the learning uh, is huge for that. I think that's something that everyone can take in. And I give you credit. Um, you could have just said, the book everyone should read is Find Your Yellow Tux, because that's the book you wrote. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, I, think they, I think they've read that. I remember, uh, I'll never forget, our <laughs> our ticket experience coordinator said to me, I go, uh, he said, yeah, man, I read I read Finding Your Yellow Tux. I go, yeah, no, nah, I only read the first half. I go, you only read the first half? He goes, well, I knew what was going to happen. I knew I knew the rest of it. I go, at least you're honest, my friend. At least you're honest. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been really fun to watch. You know, everyone on our staff started as an either intern or someone at 23 years old. And they're all just, you know, very young. And it's see them grow and run the team um, while I'm out speaking is just unbelievable. But I think it's because that's been a culture of it's not about how you can grow the organization. It's how you can grow yourself. And if we focus on growing yourself, you'll grow the organization. Uh, we're focused on building leaders and building better people, not just seeing what they can do for us as employees. Jesse, what you're doing is just unbelievable. I have so much uh, respect for you. Uh, you have, uh, like I said, you have inspired me to uh, make some changes in, in my life. And, uh, you know, this podcast being one of them and uh, what you're doing, 
uh, in Savannah is just awesome. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I always have my eye on what you guys are doing and uh, you know, maybe try and steal some ideas. I'm not sure I'm gonna steal the uh, don't sell advertising idea, but uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, what you're doing is great. And uh, I can't tell you how appreciative I am of uh, you taking the time and being on front office features. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to, to have you on board. So uh, thank you so very much. Rob, thank you so much. Obviously, you're making a difference, my friend. So I appreciate you.